How many kids do you have? Two. Two? Boy, girl? Two boys. Right. What are their names? Jack and Lucas. Jack and Lucas. Yeah. And you alluded to the fact that you came to that a little bit later than other people? Yeah. I was uh, 36 and 40 when I had babies. Wow. Very old, generally. (laughs) Particularly old for a Chinese girl who was being nagged from the time of probably 25. I think my mum was sort of like... What are you doing? When am mm. I getting grandchildren? So yeah, I can I can relate to that on one level. I'm not Chinese, but really, well, I know it's <laughs> difficult to believe. Maybe on the inside, yeah. <laughs> um, but my family is Jewish, um, and whilst my mum doesn't nag me much, <laughs> really at all, my grandmother is yeah. quite because I'm the oldest uh, of well, second oldest of um, about ten grandchildren. Ah. Um, and so I'm constantly being asked, when, when, when am I getting great-grandchildren, Alistair? So what I said to my mum, yeah. mum, every time you ask me, I'm adding six months to not doing it. <laughs> so keep going. So just keep going yeah. because that's what's going to happen. And then finally she stopped. Yeah. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Hey, hello, hi, greetings and salutations to you on this fine day. How are you? How is your year winding up? Where are you listening to this today? And you feeling good? I'm feeling good. Thanks for coming back for another episode of Coming Up Next or welcome if this is your very first episode and if it is indeed your first episode, please jump on iTunes, jump on Stitcher, jump on Facebook or Podbean Check us out under Coming Up Next. Have a look back through some awesome, awesome interviews and some great episodes that have been coming to you every week for the last almost six months now, once you've finished this episode, of course. And my guest this week is here to provide you with some juicy and fantastic insights to take you out of 2015 and into 2016. She's an incredibly inspiring woman who helps people to really hone in on their passions and their dreams. She's the CEO of her own company, and when I spoke to her, she'd just been to Richard Branson's island. She's just launched her new book, Hire Love, How to Hire Passionate People to Make Greater Profit. It'll be available online in 2016, and she is off to the Amazon and Brazil to officially launch the book. Coming up next this week, does that make sense? Christine Kaur. And friends, before we jump into the interview, if you were looking for something to get me for Christmas, Hanukkah, and the new year, jump on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash cunpodcast. Give us a like, go on iTunes, give us a five-star review, share it with your friends, and spread the coming up next message. But for now, recline back in your lazy boy, take your shoes off or put some shoes on, turn up the volume, and enjoy my interview with Christine Kaur. You know, I think there is there there are a lot of similarities culturally in terms of um, the upbringing that you have, the kind of cultural uh, identity, and probably also in uh, a an academic or a um, commercial sense, a drive for career and for careers that are going to have financial security and reward. Hmm. And um, you, like me chose to go down a path that didn't necessarily have a guarantee of that but you have become a self-made woman you're CEO of a very large company now uh, and you've forged the life that you want to have mm-hmm. um, what what were the expectations of you kind of growing up with your family and then kind of moving into having your own business um Chinese girl. My parents did everything. First, so their first generation, they did everything to uh, get us here, but also give us a great education. I had a wonderful education. Uh, so, of course, the two things that I was supposed to do is doctor or lawyer. Yep, me too. Uh, yeah, funny about that. Uh, didn't get into marks. Didn't didn't get the marks to get into either of those. And then that was a major disappointment. I then decided to go into do an arts degree. I did get into Melbourne University and I did do an arts degree to which then my father turned around and said, that's pointless. I think you should just go and do nursing. 
because at least then when you get married, you can work night shift when your husband works. <laughs> and I have been known to say to my father, and no disrespect to nurses because my mother is actually, a, a, my mother's a nurse and hats off to all nurses, I think you do an amazing job. Mm. I did say to my dad that if I had listened to him, I'd be doing night shift, you know, wiping people's bottoms for not very much money at all mm. um, if I'd done that. And again, I'm just going to put a shout out to that, that it's really not very good. Then what nurses and doctors and police people actually get paid mm. versus what happens in the commercial world. Mm. And instead you chose to stay home and wipe bottoms. and not. I did, but only for a very short period of time <laughs> before I went, I have to go back to work now. Mum, can you help me out? Because <laughs> <laughs> what are mothers are for? That's right. That's not right. wiping dirty bottoms. That's right. <laughs> so... Talk to me. I mean, yeah, I don't know if you... We, we start very... I just kind of roll into it. Yeah, I figured, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you on, on this podcast, um, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people in the entertainment industry and I started this podcast because I wanted to understand a little bit more about why people choose to follow their hearts and choose to follow their dreams, even in the face of... Um, you know, uncertainty, instability uh, in, t- in, in, um, in terms of stability, job security, financial security, all this sort of stuff. And essentially what you do for a living is help people to pursue their dreams mm-hmm. and to follow their hearts on a very sort of corporate executive and management kind of level. Yep. But obviously in order to do that, you had to journey that yourself and you had to go on that process and that come to that understanding yourself so you go and do an arts degree and then you go into the world of marketing for a period of time Mm -hmm. what brings you from marketing into coaching and into this kind of human resources uh, I don't know dream chasing lifestyle yep um, so yeah, I mean, I went to went to university, got great roles in marketing. You know, had amazing big budgets, worked with incredible people, and uh, a friend of mine came with the opportunity, and she said, "Chris, you know, it's really frustrating dealing with recruitment people. Mm. Like, they're just awful." Um, as an employer, and I felt this as well. As an employer, I was dealing with recruitment people who didn't understand the roles, who didn't understand uh, what I was looking for, and they were just sending me people that didn't fit. As a candidate, I was being put up for jobs that I didn't want to do, um, and I wasn't happy with. And I just went, you know, I'm sure that if people who understood the roles did, you know, did the recruitment process, life would be easier. Mm. Um, I was also interestingly at a, a crossroads in my own personal life where I was with a partner who, um, very creative, and we had uh, lived together. But I was also, because of my career, I was always the one that was, you know, brought in the money, so Mm. to speak. So two things happened. He actually said to me, first thing was, um, Chris, you need to be in your own business. You know, you're forever complaining about other people and uh, <laughs> silly, you know, all the mistakes that you have to fix up. So maybe you should, you know, put yourself to the test and mm. go out and make your own mistakes. And yeah, it's still hard cleaning up your own mistakes, let me tell you. The second thing is, and I'll, you know, from a personal perspective, I wanted our relationship to be more balanced. So all of a sudden I was going to drop from my six-figure income, which was, you know, over you know, 15, 17 years ago. So mm. I was, you know, doing very well to not only zero but less than zero because we had to take our savings and remortgage the house to actually start the business so it was going from you know here to negative and I thought that that was going to be a good thing for our relationship to (laughs) balance it out (laughs) we end up splitting up a year later but it was meant like it was absolutely meant to happen Mm. so that's how I got to that point Um, it's interesting because when I uh, I thought about what I was going to say here today mm. and I thought you'd ask me the question, you know, how did I get here? And uh, some days I think I get here, like I am where I am because I'm just amazing. I'm awesome. I'm clever. Mm. I'm a genius. I'm all these wonderful things. And the next day or even later in the same day, I think you're just stubborn, arrogant, stupid. <laughs> How'd you do that? Why'd you do that? What were you yeah. thinking? Um, and I think that's the life of a passionate person. Mm. I think it's a life of, a, of an entrepreneur. Mm. You know, we're full of ideas. We're full of, um, 
you know, ability to do things, but sometimes we don't think through everything that we do because we're quite, I feel quite emotional. Mm. Not to say that I'm not pragmatic, not to say I don't know my balance sheet, but, um, you know, sometimes we're not as pragmatic as we should be. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm probably more on the creative side than the, um, the balance sheet side. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't even know what that is really. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, um, sorry, just bear with me for a second. That's all right. You, you kind of touched on there, um, this idea of relationships and how relationships influence, uh, or not how relationships influence, how relationships evolve with, um, with circumstances and Mm. things like that and how it was absolutely meant to end at that point in Mm -hmm. time. Being brought up, uh, Jewish gives you a certain faith and tradition. I'm not in any way, uh, I wouldn't regard myself as being Jewish in a, um, in a religious sense at all, but it certainly led me to a certain spiritual, mm. uh, inclination. Was there anything in your life that kind of, uh, has led you on a kind of spiritual path? I know there are a lot of different faiths in, um, in Chinese culture. Mm. Um, is there anything that you hold quite close that you might have been brought up with or that you've discovered on this journey of following your dreams? Yeah. Um, the first thing for me, it is, you know, growing up in a Chinese community, like a giant Jewish community, I think has um, a ma- the incredible support. Like I know um, that my parents and my brother will always, always be there. And I know that they'll always be honest with me. I know that they'll always um, be there to back me. But that comes with a downside. So the downside being, you know, they'll be the first ones to say, you had the baby six months ago, how come you're still so fat? <laughs> <laughs> or I'm just taking the key to the house because when you when you have your grandchildren, well, I remember when my first, grand, my first son was born, um, my dad said, can I have the key cut? And I said, what for? And he said, so I can come and see the baby. And I said, well, we're going to be there. So you just give us a call and let mm-hmm. us know. Like my husband's Australian. So I said, just, you just give us a call and, you know, if it's okay, then come over. We'll probably never say no, but, you know, just my, yeah. it's my husband's house. And he said, my grandson, give me a key. I will come and go as I want. <laughs> and pretty much that's what they do. They come and go as they like. Mm. So there's upsides and downsides. From a spiritual perspective, I guess... I've always believed in something. I'm not sure that I believe in a specific um, God or or whatever, Mm. but I do know that someone's definitely looking after me um, up there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm very much into the fact that everything does happen for a reason Mm. and karma. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, karma is one of our values in our business, that Mm. it is all about... um, do what you do, do what's right, and the rewards will come. And the rewards will come in many different ways. So whether it's, it's you know, feeling good about yourself, whether it's helping somebody else in need, um, you know, it will come. It all comes around in, in the end. Mm. So, yeah, and I think the older I've got, and I don't know if you're going to find this, Alistair, I've become more Chinese. Right. Hard to think. So, you know, I'm I spent not sure a... if I'll become more Chinese as I get older. Maybe. Maybe. You never, never know. That's you true. never know who you might marry. Um, my husband's true. a lot more Chinese than me sometimes, I've got to say. <laughs> uh, but I find that I think you go back to, you know, what you were brought up with, um, what you're secure with and what you were, your traditions. And, you know, I'm, I'm loving that. You know, I spent a lot mm. of my middle years not wanting to be different. You know, not wanting to be the only Chinese girl at the party and um, the only one using chopsticks. I didn't want that. But now I'm proud of all those things mm. and um, I'm, bring, I'm bringing out my children to be proud of those things as well. Mm. How important is it to have your own sense of identity? I mean, you're a, a woman who, a Chinese woman no mm. less, who has 
entered into a workforce that is heavily dominated by men mm. and you've basically given it the middle finger and gone, I'm doing this on my terms and you can all, pardon my French, get fucked as I do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, how important is it to hold on to your own kind of identity and to really just follow your heart in that way? Yeah. Um, look, it's critical. We started the business um, and it went well for quite a number of years. I then merged the business with a... a uh, I merged the business nationally mm-hmm. um, and I got into a, a larger partnership. So there were sort of four four of us as partners. And I've got to say that I lost myself in there mm-hmm. and my identity was shattered a bit. Um, there were industry issues. So, you know, the GFC came and recruitment industry was, you know, really affected because not many people were hiring. You know, it was a diff- quite a difficult time. Um, and my, my perception of my self-worth... And the value that I thought I brought to everybody around mm. me was absolutely shattered. And um, again, this is a part of having great people around you that can call you on your own head, mm. right? When you're getting in the way of yourself. Yeah, yeah. My husband actually said to me, you've got to go, you've got to do something. And at that particular time, I uh, saw an opportunity to go to Uganda with the Hunger Project. Mm. And I just randomly said, I'd love to do that one day. And that's when he said, you've got to go because I can't stand it. You're in a rut. Mm. You're not nice to be around. Do something. And I thought, it's a bit extreme, run away, you know, going to Uganda. But <laughs> anyway, I'm full of extremes. I did that. Mm. I went to Uganda with The Hunger Project in 2012. And just explain what The Hunger Project is so, for my listeners. Yep, The Hunger Project is a not-for-profit. It's a global not-for-profit. And we have a uh, mandate or a goal to end world hunger by 2030. Wow. Yeah, so we work with, we've we've sort of flipped the lid, so to speak, on the way um, to end world hunger. And we do it by education and and empowerment of women Mm. in the poorest countries. So India, Bangladesh, um, Mexico and the Africas. And we basically fundraise in the four donor countries. So Australia, US, UK, Sweden. And then we transfer the funds and we build epicenters and we do you know we we build wells and Mm. um we educate so i went with um with business chicks actually um program in conjunction with the hunger project we went to uganda and we went way out into where no one you know white people Mm. inverted commas haven't been seen to the point where many ugandans looked at me and couldn't quite work out what i was because (laughs) i wasn't quite I wasn't white, mm. I wasn't blonde, I spoke like them, but I didn't look like them, and many of them hadn't seen a Chinese person or an Asian person, so they actually could, and when I get in the sun, I actually go quite dark, so they were really confused about who I was, mm. um, but I saw, I literally saw people dying there, Wow! and that for me was the stake in the ground, to say, get out of your own way, and stop whinging and stop feeling sorry for yourself and stop blaming other people. Mm. Um, and I have a duty to lead not just a good life but a passionate life and a worthy life because if I was in any other, if I was born in one of those countries, not only would I probably have been, um, you know, sold off or having babies at 13 or 14 or whenever I, you know, I could, I would most likely be dead mm. because, I mean, I had... A lot of problems with my second child during birth and I did nearly die then but I had you know I had private hospital I had to be a best doctor I had you know 17 people running around me if I was there there isn't I would be dead mm. I wouldn't have got pregnant in the first place but I would be dead so I came back going I can't I can't sit here anymore and complain and from that point my life has just gone on like on a it's like I've gone in a Formula One car so mm. I Demerged myself out of that business because mm. I just was not happy. Luckily enough, I had an amazing business partner and an incredible husband that both said, let's go, I back you. Um, demerged, we rebranded, we recreated, we put two new business lines into our business, we moved office, um, we changed our team, uh, you name it, pretty much we did it. Mm. And at the same time, I joined the board of The Hunger Project and it was all around this real need to lead a passionate life and a life that's valuable. And the other thing that we did is, is I guess, change the way we look at recruitment for people, right? So 
our fundamental belief at Chorus Executive is that everybody deserves to have a passionate career. You spend a lot of time in your work um, and if you don't feel that you're being valued or adding value, you're miserable and when you're miserable it doesn't just mean it doesn't just affect the business right mm. so if you're miserable at work you you know you can be a bit toxic you don't do your work properly you don't care if you spend extra money on pens you know you don't care about profit you don't care about any of those things but not only that is you come home miserable mm. so you're miserable to your wife your girlfriend your children your dog you're not you know when someone says how are you you go yeah whatever you know and it's just you're not nice to be around um and i'm lucky enough i'm not saying i love my job every day i mean that's ridiculous like there's some days i want to stay in bed and there's some days i want to go that's i've had enough right (laughs) but 75 percent of the time i walk into my place of work and i walk in with people that i i I really i love i respect Mm. and I'm, i'm happy and i do great things and I want that for other people. Mm. I think in this world, in, in Australia, it, it's for most of us, not all of us, it's no longer about just paying the bills. You know, if you think about Maslow's you know, hierarchy of needs, there's a bottom line where it's just to pay the rent, get the food, right? And then you move up. And for, my, for a lot of us, um, we're at that self-actualization space. Can you explain that model to me? Um, so Maslow's theory is like there's five levels of um, need that we have as human beings. Mm. So the first level is like physiological, basically. Mm. So you need warmth, you need food, you need water. Um, and then it goes up the chain, you know, you need love and care, you need feeling of self-worth, um, there's one that's missing. And then there's the top one, which is self actualization which is actually that you are... Um, you're your higher being, I mm. suppose, and that you are absolutely satisfied in every other level. So you're you're full, you're warm, you're loved, you trust yourself, you're respected in your community. You know, you're giving back, and now it's about I am there, I'm mm. it. And for many of us, you know, we may not think that we're in some of those bits. Like there's a lot of people on, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, who think that they don't have enough money. Mm. And I do speak to those people. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, I, I spoke to someone yesterday who um, worked out between um, between the husband and wife team were earning over a half a million dollars, mm. and, she, and they were scared about not being able to pay the bills. And my comment was, "I can't believe that. Like, I, I can't believe that. And if that's the case, you need a good financial planner because yeah. that's obscene. Because two percent of people of, would earn anywhere near that. Mm. You know, so." Um, I digress because I've got this sense of, you know, people with the sense of scarcity versus abundance. But anyway, but, you know, so there's that that level. But, but for I believe that when you get to that stage where you're saying, I'm working for more than just money and a title and my ego, because mm. ego goes, I'm working there for to be really um, happy and to give and to, to create value, that's a different place. And I think that's where passionate people go, mm. right? So if you look at yourself, mm-hmm. right, forgetting about, whether you can pay the rent or not, but if people tell you that you're good, have you know, people tell you that you've you know you've won awards and all that sort of stuff. You're doing this to satisfy your own self and to add value to the world as you see best with your great talents, mm. right? Um, so you're self-actualizing. Now mm. other people may say, oh, but you're wasted, Alistair. You're so you know you're so clever. Why don't you go and do this? Or you're such a good salesman. Why don't you? Like, I can hear your grandmother now, oh, darling. Why you're so handsome? Why have you got a girlfriend? Why I can hear it, right? Yep. But that's not self-actualization for you, no. right? That's burden. That's obligation. That's Restriction, that's all these other things. So a strong and passionate person against all odds will go, I get that. Mentally, I get that it would be nice to have a girlfriend and a kid. You know, I get that it would be nice to own a house. I get it. But it's not going to make me happy. Mm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to follow my heart and follow my passion, which makes us awesome, fantastic, geniuses, great, and probably sometimes stupid, (laughs) (laughs) arrogant, stubborn, you know, and, and making lots of mistakes. But, you know, you don't get one without the other. Mm. Mm. Let's talk about uh, scarcity and abundance. Yeah. Um, what's, what's, what are your beliefs around that? Um, I think that this, our world, has made us feel that we, are, we don't have enough. So how often do you hear the cliche, oh, I went to India or Vietnam or... You know, Uganda, and they had nothing, but they were so happy. They were so happy. Mm. And then you come to, you know, Australia or the US, and we're all 
obese and we've all got two cars that are brand new and we've all got Foxtel and we've got the new iPhone but we haven't got enough and we're stressed because I can't pay the bills and we're miserable. Mm. Do you know how much you know, some of those people in India and Bangladesh and Uganda would pay just to be able to give their children a meal a day, mm. one meal, not two, or even one meal every second day. They would feel abundant then, and yet we're gluttons that eat so much and we still feel that we're poor. So it's it's not about the sense of abundance and scarcity is not about um, what you actually have, it's how you feel. Um, I've got a good friend who's Jewish and we had a, she's also a business owner mm. and we had a, uh, ironically a lunch the other day and we were both saying that our fears, and I have this fear, is of not having enough money. So I'm first generation um, Chinese, so immigrants, my parents worked very hard, you know, two jobs, all that sort of stuff. So it was always drummed into us, save your money, save your money, you know, be careful, be careful, be careful, right? Um, she's first generation Jewish, brought up in the Bronx, has now come here, um, and she said the same thing. So it's like no matter how much money we have, we always feel, oh, my God. And so I'm working really hard to free myself of that fear of scarcity, um, which is why I love the Hunger Project because that's the message that comes through and that's why I try to preach that to, to everybody um, I speak to. Mm. I try to give as, I give as much as I can. I give, I give to the Hunger Project to the point where I'm uncomfortable mm. and that so it's all easy to give $50 when your friend does a fun run right that's easy but what about if you know you giving a thousand dollars meant that you couldn't go on that holiday or you I don't know couldn't get foxtail for two weeks what would that mean you know that's actually you're taking what you're not giving away your disposable income you're giving away your needed income um, so I'm trying to push that because I think once you start to do those things um, it's amazing how much you've got. I mean, I know when I was starting my first business, I went from, as I said, a six-figure income to nothing, and my life didn't change that much. Mm. I bought clean skins instead of $35 bottles of wine. I didn't buy as many shoes. I had people come and eat at my house and have pizza instead of going out to a restaurant that cost me $150 a sitting. Mm. Did my quality of life change? It probably actually got better. Right. You know, because... Created more intimacy. Well, created more intimacy. It was the friends that really were my friends mm. that didn't care about whether it's pizza on the couch as long as the conversation was good and we did have some wine, you know. It didn't have to be the $40 wine at the bottle. At the restaurant, it could be the $12 wine from Coles with a pizza. You know, it's, and I... You know, again, I'm allu you're alluding to the fact that maybe you're not, you know, earning as, as you know, in the hundreds of thousands... I'm sure you have a great life too and you've got mm. those friends that you don't feel like there's sometimes you'd like to buy that other thing or have that other holiday but are you really missing out mm. i don't know you know yeah, i don't feel I don't, like I don't feel like i live a life of um scarcity i feel very much like i live a life uh, of abundance and i think something that mm. you're getting to in that is also about living life on your own edge yeah um and, and, and not being afraid to push that and not being, I mean, you know, me moving into this apartment and setting up my own space with an office and really kind of living the life that I wanted to live. I mean, logic would point to it not being a very good idea on a, in a financial sense because, you know, work can dry up very quickly in the entertainment industry. You can go for, I mean, I actually haven't had uh, any paid employment this week or last week but you know previous weeks I earned enough to compensate for that but yep. that can you know you can in theory go for a month without earning yep. any money but you know I'm prepared to kind of live on the edge and I think I always have been to have the life that I want because I, I, I really think that there are two kinds of people it's pretty black and white but you know, there are people who um, who have life done to them and there are people who do life. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I personally want to be someone who does life. Yep. I don't want life to do me. Yep. Because that might be a bit painful. I agree. Yeah. Um, I recently went to Necker Island with um, a group of, uh, another group of amazing people and I met Richard Branson and, you know... So just so to explain what uh, Necker Island is. So Necker Island is one of Richard Branson's private islands. I didn't realise that he had two oh, until wow. I got there. 
So one where the guests go, which is Necker, and the other one's called Mosquito, which is where he, he lives with his family and mm. we actually had a private party there, so that was quite nice. Wow. But, um, and I met, I mean, Richard Branson was one of the amazing people. The other amazing people were, you know, um, Mark Kelly, an astronaut. Um, there was a lady called Gabby Giffords who was the Arizona um, politician in the US that got shot in the head on on television wow. for everyone and survived. Um, so, they're, so they're amazing people. But one thing, the reason why I say that is one of the questions that was asked of him was when you make business decisions, Mr Branson, how much do you use, you know, analysis, experts, process thinking, business casing, da 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 and how much do you use your gut feel, passion, intuition. just intuition. Mm. He started the conversation saying, well, you know, that's why you have experts and it's always good to look at the financials and the balance and look at the industry and da-da-da. Then he said, but I don't do any of that. He said, when, I, when he launched Virgin Airlines, he was told by everybody not to do it. Mm. It was a cluttered market in the US. There were 22 other airlines. They'd all been going for a long time. It cost a lot to have a, you know, air, you know have a have an airline, he could only afford one airplane, mm. blah, 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 or so many reasons not to do it. He had to mortgage his Necker Island, he had to, mm. you know, mortgage everything, da, da, um, And now only one of those 22 um, airlines that were in competition then are still in competition. Wow. So there is a, about this, and this is this arrogance, obstinance, mm. intuition part, stubbornness, that you just go, you know what? I know it's right, and I believe in myself. Um, Jane Whirlwind and Raymond Whirlwind are the owners of Dermalogica. So they have taken it from zero 30 years ago to now a you know, billion-dollar business, a mm. global business. They have funded everything themselves, so they never had any loans or banks or investors. Um, and they were told at year three to give up by their friends, their very caring friends, because mm. they, weren't, they weren't making the money, right? And um, Jane's story is that they, you know, they left this dinner, this intervention, so to speak, and her and her husband Raymond sat there and said, well, "What do you want to do?" And they said, "No, we believe in our idea." And now, you know, they've built an amazing business, and it's not just that it's a financially an amazing business; it's it it's a business about touch and connection, mm. right? Her purpose is not just to make you have nice skin; it's actually to make you feel good about yourself. And when you feel good about yourself, you're better to other people, you're nicer to yourself and you live life in a different way. So mm. um, so I'm a big believer of following your passion and living your life, not yeah, having a life thrown at you that you are obligated to perform in a different way. Mm. Isn't one of uh, Richard Branson's quite famous ideals uh, when he's considering a new business venture is he thinks about the worst case scenario and can I deal with, the worst case scenario and if the answer is yes then there's no question hmm. and if the answer is no then there's no question yep and, and that's a really simple guide to understanding or knowing if something is worth pursuing or not it's whether or not you can deal with the worst case scenario absolutely and you know all the best people my my mentors you know I, I absolutely do that in my life. What's the worst thing that can happen? Can I deal with that? Yes. And a lot of my friends do that. And you bring it down by, you know, if this happens, what we're, you know, and it's funny, sometimes um, what you think is stopping you is not actually stopping you. So I had a friend who was in a horrible job, um, horrible marriage. Well, not horrible, man, that's unfair. In marriage, you want to have with. So mm. job, house, um, and marriage. And she was unhappy with all and she felt that she couldn't leave her job because she had this house and she couldn't leave the house because she had this family mm. and she loved her kids but didn't want her so it sort of went on and it worked out that ultimately she couldn't leave her job or her marriage or her house because she didn't want to move her daughter out of her primary school mm. like all the reasons came down and she's like really because I don't want to move my grade five kid in primary school, I'm staying in a house that I don't want or like that's killing me with the mortgage payments, in a job that I don't want to be in, in a relationship that I'm miserable in. Mm. So she moved the kid. The kid's fine. She got rid of everything else and she's in an amazing place now, right? Mm. So it's funny how sometimes something really minor has makes you do these really 
big silly things. Block you. Yeah, blocks you. Mm. Mm. You just need to get out of your own way, really. Get out of your own way. Yep. Mm. Um, tell me about going to Necker Island. I'm, I'm curious what the a day in the life of Richard Branson's island would be like. It's unbelievable. So this year for me has been a year of saying yes. So without really thinking too much, which has got me into trouble, by the way, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm into yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna try that because I think we live a life of I shouldn't, I can't, I wish I could, but mm. you know I'm not smart enough, I'm not clever enough. Blah, 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 blah. So that's how I got there in the first place. He's for me. There's two parts of it. So the a few parts of it. There's no doubt the man has done some amazing things. Mm-hmm. You know, when you walk into that island and when you saw, you know, what it was before he got there, and if you think about his business journey and what he's been able to create and what he's not not just in business but in the community and his philanthropic side, incredible. So just to be in, look there and in awe and go, wow, this man, this one person created all this. So that was incredible. To the part where he. He got incredible people. He's got amazing people around him um, that he just he just sees the good in people. So it was quite interesting because one of the questions that we – because it was a business chick. Again, business chicks is quite a theme with me mm. uh, program that we, where we went and or why we went. And one of the questions we asked Richard Branson was, you know, what do you think about all the research that says women um, have less confidence than men? Because, you know, the, the old adage – a man will say he can do the job if he can do 20% of it. Women need to do 80% of it before they say yes. And he actually looked really puzzled and perplexed. And he went, what are you, what are you talking about? And he said, oh, you know, this research that says women are less confident, which means they're, you know, they don't get the leadership roles, they don't put their hand up, they don't, they're paid less. They're and he actually went, I don't know any of those women. Hmm. I've never met anyone. Are you sure that that's right? Like he truly couldn't see any difference between a man and a woman. So I think that was quite... And it was genuine. You know, sometimes you think, oh, it's just a shot. But for me, and I interview people every day, so I get to see when they're lying or not. To me, it was genuine, that he truly just believes everybody is equal, which I thought Mm. was incredible. Um, And then the third part for me was just having a group of... All up, there were about 40 of us. There were 25 guests and about 10, 15 staff and speakers and what. And quite inspiring. So all business owners in their own way or business leaders come in with a really clear purpose of wanting to be better and to give as well as to get. And I think when you're in an environment like that where people are there to give, not just get, it becomes a very different experience. So, yeah, that's how I got there. Day in the life is, as you would expect, on Richard Branson's Island. Um, Martini's on tap. You know, beautiful, um, you know, beautiful furniture everywhere, gorgeous food, all very healthy, um, very natural, lots of, you know, flamingos and animals. Like, there was no, you couldn't rush too much because sometimes a giant turtle will get in your way <laughs> and you just had to stop and wait for the turtle to get out of the way. Mm. Um, or was it tortoise? I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, just quite, quite incredible. And everybody was happy. Like the staff are happy, they're engaged. Like to me, they practice what they preach. Like they are, and you can tell again when a staff member comes up to you and and they're just there to help you um, and they're smiling all the way. And it didn't seem like it was a, you know, pep talk beforehand where everyone's saying, put your smiles on people for the next eight hours and then go back to your, you know, your home. Mm. Um, Spoken. A bit about karma and you know being philanthropic and and giving and even just then you were talking about uh, this idea of giving as opposed to receiving and you know there's always a sense of entitlement that comes with people who expect to get something in return but really some, the only thing that we can control in this crazy life is how much we're willing to give. Um, you can't control how that's going to be received or how much is coming back to you. And I think the idea of karma is beautiful in that sense because it's creating energy that does create a cycle of giving. Yep. Do you think that's what life is all about? Is how much you're putting out into the world and how much you're giving to this life? 
Hmm, interesting question. Um, what do I think life is all about? I think that's part of it. Mm. I think um, love to me and family is what my life's about. Uh, giving is a part of that. Helping is a part of that. Um, being feeling successful is part of that too. And you know, don't get me wrong. I want to run an empire. You know, I want to be successful. In my and I do want to make money. I do. I want all those things. Um, but I want to do it on my terms. Uh, with my values. Mm. I think that it can be, I think people is what life is all about because I think if you have success and money and even wife, husband, children, um, but there's no love or true connection there, then it's still very hollow. Mm. Um, yeah, but I think for me, yeah, karma is part of it, absolutely. I think you get what you you get back what you give and it's not always by the same person mm. and it's not and you know and again don't get me wrong there are takers out there there are people that will just suck you dry and you've got to be smart enough too to go that's enough you know for you i'm not giving any more because it is enough but for others just keep giving mm. so let's talk about um helping people to realize their dreams and to understand their dreams. Maybe um, that's, that's going to be a very broad kind of subject. Maybe we'll, we can look at spec being specific uh, and talk about, say, this podcast, for example, mm. using that as, a, as an example or a launching point because I guess people who are listening have sort of been a part of the evolution of it. Yep. So I guess applying some of your own coaching models to that, how do, how do you take someone's um, ideas and ambitions and, and help them to grow and evolve that? Okay. So my foot, okay, I'm going to, I'll work with you now. Like I'll ask you a few questions if you don't mind. Sure, no, okay. go ahead. So what's the purpose of the podcasts? Uh, so the purpose of the podcast on a... Um, on one level, for me, is like I said before, it's a it's it's a creative kind of quest to try and understand and try and relate and connect to people. So there's on one level there's that. On another level, I really want to inspire people to follow their hearts and their passions, um, and to create a feeling of connection with people. Like you know, everyone goes through these trials and tribulations. They're not because they can feel very lonely at times. Um, another thing is for me to broaden my network to um, create another um, string in the bow if you like um, try and find another way you know ideally I would love to monetize it create um, advertising space and sponsorship or even to turn it into a bigger show that um, I don't know like a talk show or something like that um, but, you know, fundamentally, it's about creating a connection, I think, and to create, yeah, kind of loving connection for people. And why do you want to do that? Um, it gives me a sense of purpose and, uh, you know, it gives me, it feeds my creativity uh, it feeds my ego, it feeds um, my spirituality, um, my consciousness. Um, it allows me to be philosophical, it gives me a platform to have a voice. Um, and I feel good when I do it. You know, I feel intelligent, I feel creative, I feel inspired, I feel like I'm helping people to make a difference. Um, I feel like I can be exposed and be vulnerable. I mean, even as these things are coming out of my mouth, I'm feeling a sense of vulnerability about it because mm. I'm aware that it could come across as being, as you say, arrogant or yep. self-fulfilling or whatever, but that's the reality and that's the truth for me. And what makes you feel that? Is it feedback? Is it accolades? Is it from yourself? I think it's just from myself. I don't. There's not. There hasn't been a lot of uh, engagement at this point in terms of. I mean, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. 
Um, but that's kind of just from a close circle of people who feel comfortable to contact me mm-hmm. sort of directly in terms of a broader kind of feedback. There hasn't really been much, so it's just kind of going off uh, an organically evolving listenership and um, people's interest. Okay. And, yeah, so I guess most of it is feeling good. Uh, I feel good in myself when I do it. Okay. So... How do you so your purpose is to connect, create connections mm. um, so that people can feel better about themselves and, mm. and feel supported? How do you know that you've been successful in that quest? I don't know that I that I can. I suppose taking a step beyond that, it would be to. Um, Uh, inspire people to follow their hearts and follow their dreams and understand what that is and what that entails but I don't know if there is a tangible way that I could know if that was successful or not other than the continued evolution of the show if the show succeeds then there is obviously interest in the subject matter Mm -hmm. and it's obviously then inspiring people or piquing people's interests or um, or connecting to people. So how would you know if the show is successful? I guess as far as I'm concerned, the show is already a success on one level because it is touching people and it's connecting to people and it's broadening in a way I mean we're doing something that just started as a as an idea Mm -hmm. and I suppose the continued success will be determined by how far it can grow and how much it can evolve Um, I'm kind of talking around your question here but what does that mean and this is so I won't I mean I could keep going but it's quite but from a coaching perspective it's about drilling down so so the question comes down to and sometimes it can be like you know i've got this house and i can't get out of the mortgage Mm. and it's actually because my kid i don't want to change her school right so it could be as simple as that so the way of going through that is actually you know why you why are you doing this how does it Mm. make you feel what are the measures of success for you and some of them might be you know what i'm already on top of the world but some of it could be you know what i want it i want more feedback i want ten thousand or twenty thousand listeners i Mm. want i want to be picked up you know people talk tweeting it i want someone in the US to pick it up you know Mm. those sort of I don't know what your measures are and it's not about financial outcomes it's about because you're getting your message out you're being able to share it could be all I want is two people a week to say to me thank you that's Mm. like that's your metric yeah I mean I guess to I guess drilling down it, it would I would like to have a larger listenership it would be great to understand how to grow that um to make it uh to monetize it as well to understand how to do that um, to yeah and and, yeah. To, and to broaden the scope of the show I mean as I said you know it started out speaking to people from the entertainment industry and now it's it's becoming a bigger broader. piece than that it's a broader mm-hmm. piece than that uh, and yeah so I think the success of the show uh yeah I think it would be great to have a, a, a bigger awareness of the show mm-hmm. and then the, the flow on effect of that I, you know I would love to be able to earn an income doing this yeah right so there's we I do because um, I'm passionate about career and job satisfaction I guess and living a passionate life within your career sphere um, I'm not a life coach I'm not a um I'm not a leadership coach, I'm a career coach, I guess. I have two parts of it. One is the part um, which would be you, which would be a business coach. You've already found your passion. You don't need that. You know exactly why you're here and what Mm. you need to give. What you don't know is, and what you're not, is a business person or a marketeer, right? So you don't know how to put all this amazing energy and love and um, creativity and narrow it down into you know blocks of what mm-hmm. you need to do. So identifying 
um, what your objectives are, identify what the blockages are, identifying the actions to get rid of those blockages and then taking the action steps to go forward, right? So that's your part. For a lot of the people I speak to from a career perspective, they don't know what they want. They just know that they're not happy. Mm. So, for example, I had one lady I was coaching recently and um, had a very similar discussion. She came to me with a really clear objective. I need to get my next $300,000 job um, because I'm a single mum and I've got to be a good role model and I need to support her and I need financial security. Um, and I said, okay, but what if you didn't have that, what would you do? She said, well, I'd want to be, I want to be a journalist and I want to be a writer and I want to do um, interviews and I want to inspire people. And, I want, and I've got this op- opportunity um, to the move to the US and do that, but I can't do that because I've got to look after my daughter. I said, okay. And, and she said, and if I don't earn that much money, I said, what about if you earn half? She said, we could still live on it, but I wouldn't have enough money to give her everything she wants. I went, okay, so you can live, you can sort of live okay on 150, but you really need 300 to take her to you know, Disneyland and whatever else you need to do. She goes, yes. I said, okay. Mm. Then I said, how's that? How are you at work then? She said, oh, I'm miserable. I come home every day crying. I yell at my daughter actually half the time. I don't have any time on weekends. When she's doing her ballet, blah, 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 I sit in the car or I'm on the phone because I'm working. And I said, okay, so how's that role modelling going for you with your daughter? And she just went, oh, my God. Hmm. And I said, okay, what do you think your six-year-old daughter actually wants? Do you think she wants the ballet lessons in the Disneyland and the, or did she want to read a book with you and maybe go to the park with you? And she went, oh, my God. And I'm not a life coach. This is about career because she was actually miserable in her job, right? Mm. So then I said to her, right, well, clock in for the next session. And she went offline. She went AWOL. I couldn't find her. I was like, oh, my God, I'm too hard. I, I can't. Oh, my God, what's happened? And she emailed me and she said, I'm sorry I've been out of touch, but I took the punt and I'm now in the US. I'm going to have a go. Wow. I've quit my job and I've, you know, and I'm not saying I'm a miracle worker every time, but I think the difference was her with her was she was in this world already. Like she knew what to do, mm. but her blockage was unleashing her own creativity and following her heart. So she'd been in this block of to be a good mum, I have to earn lots of money because I'm a single mum and that's her duty and that she couldn't rely on nobody else. And that's really valid. But sometimes you've got to balance like how much is that of is her own stuff and how much is that of true. Like her daughter... Her daughter didn't care about all that money. She just wanted her mum and her mum to be happy. Mm. Um, so there's two parts of coaching. And I guess that's where, um, as I said with you, it's not about finding your passion. You've found that. For you, it's about finding your way, your pathway. Mm. But as for others, it is very much about helping them identify their passions and then identifying, again, the blockages and what are those things that, are, that they're allowing to happen to them, mm. like this constraint that you don't have enough. On 300000 you don't have enough money. Mm, that's absurd to me. It's all relative, mm. right? For you, that's absurd. And there'll be people that might be listening going, yeah, actually, you're right, I couldn't live on 300000 There are people that, a lot of people that will say that, mm. right? And that can be 300, 500, you know, 100. 80, 70, 50, that, you know, it doesn't matter. There's always going to be people that are earning more mm. and always going to be people that are earning less. And it's just in your mindset whether you decide that I have enough or I haven't got enough. Mm. And it's really, yeah, really personal. So I don't judge any of that. I just think it's who people are. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> so what, uh, what is a kind of simplistic pathway for me then? Um, I'm going to bring it back to myself. Yep. It's my podcast and I yep. can do that. Yep. What do you think a simplistic kind of pathway for me then would be? Um, I would, I would st- I'm a marketeer by background, so I would actually look at potentially what problem are you solving, right? So if, you're, if the problem that you're solving is that people aren't feeling connected and people want to be inspired by people that have had a different journey you know understand that and if that's the truth right or your truth and what you want to create then understand how you get in touch with those people and communicate to them in a way and then obviously you know from a marketing perspective you go out and you try to tap those people on the on the, on the shoulder and make them listen mm. and then it's as simple as you know well who are the types of people that they want to listen to 
you know um, how do I get those people here and I th- but at the same time I have a sense of from you that it's coming just from a really nice place and you're not chasing the big names you're not chasing you know Angelina Jolie or you know Richard Branson to be sitting here talking about inspiration you're talking about everyday people who have you know live in suburban you know McKinnon um, who have fallen down and gotten up and because I'm an everyday person that has to do the washing before I come here and you know mm. all that sort of stuff then maybe people can be more inspired by me than they are by Richard Branson because what he does is so out of the realms whereas you know I have fallen over I have lost a lot of money I have made a lot of mistakes um, but I've also done some amazing things and it's just that belief like knowing for your audience to know that that the most average of people mm. can be amazing if you believe in yourself. Mm. So, I you know, that's a rambling sort of way of, on the one hand, think through the the, the, the strategy of what you're doing, but the, on the other hand, there's this, this gut, creative, real part that is engaging on its own. Mm. So you've got to balance those two things. I would overall say, and this is what I say about any great technician or creative person, is people like that tend to be less Mm business-minded, which is why 98% of businesses close within the first year because you're a great spokesperson, interviewer, you're a great hairdresser, you're a great plumber, but you don't know how to do the books and you don't know what a balance sheet is. So it's actually important to get somebody to help you Mm. with some of those things Mm. and adding process and discipline. Mm. Very wise idea, (laughs) one that I should really take up. And just to bounce your eye, because, you know, you can go, you can be quite emotional. I'm not saying you personally, but people that are quite quite emotional. So me, I've always had partners. Mm. And my husband is also very much my partner in my life and also not in my business officially, but, you know, obviously he's impacted. And he'll be the first one to say, pull your head in. That's Mm. ridiculous. Are you mad? Mm. But also the biggest cheerleader when I'm doing a great job. So I think, and my business partners are the same. Like I've had a couple of business partners, not all of them great, but this the one I've got, fantastic. So he will again say to me, no, I don't think that's a good idea, Chris. Are you sure that you want to do that? Mm. So you need that to have someone to bounce off. Mm. How long have you been with your husband for? Husband, tw- um, we forget sometimes, tw- um, 12 years. <laughs> mm. And my business partner long, uh, about the same time, actually. All right. Yeah, yeah. There's something really beautiful in, in relationships that have sort of stood the test of time and that the partner's will magnify the other's beauty and will yeah. sort of hold the space for them to follow their hearts and follow their passions. Do you have any kind of, um, I want to say tips or tricks or secrets, but what have you found has worked for you and your husband in sustaining that and keeping the relationship beautiful and, and alive? Um, we laugh a lot. Mm. We take it on the chin when we're wrong and we say sorry um we are very honest and we will tease each other about our own very like our funny behaviors our poor behaviors um i have a bit of a temper mm. and i can be quite i can i can i can let it go when i need to. my husband is more balanced so what he will do is step away and you know half an hour an hour later He'll go, God, you're a bitch. <laughs> and I'll go, yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. He goes, just pull your head in. Yeah, okay. Um, we tease each other. So if I ask him, can we do, shall we do this? Do you want to do this? He'll do a face. And I'm like, don't do the face. And he's like, it's my face. So we take that. Um, we hardly ever say no to each other. So... I don't believe in this. I hear these relationships where it's like, yeah, I've got to leave pass. Like, what's that? I don't even understand the concept. Like, mm. if you're married and you trust each other and you, you want to be in the right place, but at the same time you want to go out and drink with your friends or you've got to, you want to go away, you want to go. Like, I trust you, you're my husband, to do the right thing. Mm. I trust you to live life on your terms. Go, yeah. whatever. And We never... Never say no. Some might sometimes say, is that a good idea? But would never say no. Um, and we have the same purpose, our children. 
and yeah totally want each other to be the best that they can be so I tell you when I decided to go to Necker Island that was not an easy decision and all he said to me is I back you Chris if you want to do that and you think it's the right thing to do just do it we'll find a way Mm. Mm. choosing love um yeah yeah I just I I think the end thing is because we're both confident in ourselves I don't have we don't have to put each other down I think sometimes I look at people and they you know there's two types of people as you said there's people that get joy from seeing other people up and there's other people that feel good about themselves when they put other people down um, and that happens in workplaces it happens in friendship groups and it happens in marriages and I guess I'm lucky or maybe I, I, I recruit well <laughs> uh, that I Simon and I aren't like that so I feel great when he's great it doesn't make me feel good at all when he's bad and I think then that's a you know he's not you know he's very unusual because I'm a strong personality and I'm su- successful and um, he's he's not intimidated by that and I, I know a lot of um, uh, senior women say that it's very hard to find men that are confident around them mm. and I don't I'm lucky enough I don't have that problem mm. that's beautiful it's a couple of standard questions that I ask uh, sort of outside of the uh, meaning of life questions. Yep. Um, one of them is I usually ask uh, people if they remember the first time that they ever entertained anyone, but that's not really applicable to your line of work. But perhaps a pertinent question might be, do you remember the first time that you ever helped someone and that you sort of understood that that was something that you might like to do uh, as a career? Um. I don't really remember the first time, but I always have been, I've always been a, um, a people person. Mm. Um, my, my arts degree, to the shame of my parents, was actually psychology, major in psychology. Mm. Um, so I've always had that bent to me. And I guess I am a straight talker, so I am one that can listen to what you say and go, okay, so does that mean that you're talking about, you know, you're doing this show, Alistair, to make yourself feel good or you're making it to make other people feel good because all the language you said was actually how you feel, not about how they feel. Mm-hmm. And people go, oh, I didn't know I was doing that. You know, that sort of thing. So I've always been quite good at that. So I guess um, I, I can't remember specific instances, but I know that there'll be many times in a week or a day that people will say, oh, my God, you just got straight to the point of that. And thanks, that's given me a lot of clarity. Mm. And I know that that makes me feel valuable to them because I've helped, I've added value to their life and I've helped them unblock a problem that they couldn't see. Mm. I don't know if that answers your question or not. doesn't matter. <laughs> this whole thing is a ramble, really. Yeah, right. Random talk. Yeah. That's what we do. So actually, my I just wrote a blog this morning with my seven-year-old because every morning we have a random chat mm. and it's just random, whatever comes up. And we do mm. it for about five or ten minutes and that's it. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah, that, it's that's great. That's a nice segue into my last question. Right. Uh, which is, what makes you silly? Oh, my God. Lots of things. Mm. Okay. So what makes me silly is um, my dancing. Mm. What makes you ballroom. As in, yes, but yes, but there's also a bit of um, Banana Rama. Oh. There's also a bit of Tony Bartuccio, which you probably don't even know who that is. Nope. A, he was a dan- he was a uh, he had dancing schools way back when I was young, mm. and used a lot of poles. Right. But yeah, not pole dancing, but you know, lots of big arm movements. So I do that. Um, I yeah, silly dance really is what I do, mm. and. Make jokes, which I think are usually quite amusing, but not always. And I say yes. And I laugh. I laugh loud. <laughs> what, have you got a joke that comes to mind? <laughs> I can't remember jokes. Okay, yes, I do. What did the green grape say to the red grape? What? Breathe, mate, breathe. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, right? <laughs> That's my 
seven year old joke. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris. It's That's all right. Really beautiful place to end. Okay. No problem. Thanks very much. A huge, huge thank you to Chris for giving us a little peek into her life, into her journey, and into Richard Branson's island. And don't forget, friends, you can support the show by sharing this episode or one of the many other episodes that we've got, including interviews with people like Molly Meldrum, Kat Stewart, Samuel Johnson, Doug Jones, Liam McIntyre. The coming up next work continues to grow. So share us on your social medias and bring all your friends to the party because in 2016, we're getting bigger and better. And coming up next to celebrate what has been an amazing and extraordinary introduction into the world of podcasting for myself, I thought I'd throw together a little clip show for you from the first 24 episodes. That's right, episode 25 next week. We're going to have us a little clip show. I hope you have a wonderful holiday and festive season, friends, and we will see you on the next episode.